Welcome. Thanks for joining us. I know that um, it's a little different in this format, but we really appreciate you being together to hear God's word for making it a priority, and we are glad that you joined together with us. And we know that you're watching on a screen and some kind of device. You might be watching your home, your family, by yourself, but we want you to know that you're not alone. And wherever you are, whoever you're with, um, you are not alone. The church is still gathering, and God is with us as well. He is present as we gather together as his people, and he wants to speak to each and every one of us here today. He is unique still, uniquely with us in a very special way whenever we gather together. And, and God is uniquely with us right now. Um, where, no matter where you're at, if you're watching on a small screen, if you're watching on a big screen, if you're um, by yourself, he is with us and he has been with us all along. He will never leave us, never forsake us. God has been kind to lead us through. Um, we have gone through a series a while back in the book of Revelation. God in his time, he was kind to lead us through that. And then um, after that, we went through a book, on, I mean, the, a series on fear as well. And God kindly led us into that. And now he's led us into Ruth. And all of these things we planned out probably about a year ago, but God planned out since the beginning of time. And God was aware of just exactly what we needed. So if you're at home, um, wherever you're at, a coffee shop, hopefully not a coffee shop, I guess, but um, wherever you are, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. We're going to read the entire chapter, but we're just going to start with the first five verses. We're going to go through it verse by verse. So let's read Ruth chapter 1 together. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would do what you promised to do, to speak through your word. God, right now, everyone who is listening, everyone who is either listening live or listening recorded, I pray that you would minister to them right now, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would open up our minds to be able to understand. For, for all the children that are sitting there in the living rooms with their parents, God, we're grateful. I pray that you would help them engage and stay engaged. Lord, help all of us stay focused on you during this time. God, would you... You, you continue to speak your words to us today. Lord, we trust you. We look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, do you ever feel like things are dark? I know that at times we can get distracted by all the darkness around us. Yet often we can be aware of the difficulties. We can be aware of the hardships more than the good things in life. We we can feel like giving up. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like giving up. Do you ever feel like giving up? You ever feel like the darkness is too much? You ever feel like there's no hope? Things are too desperate. They're too difficult. They're too painful. You just can't do it. 
Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you're currently tempted. Maybe you're currently feeling like it's, this is all too much for me. This is all too much for us. We don't know what we're going to do. Things are unsettling. Things are dark. Things are fearful. Maybe you feel that way. If so, the book of Ruth is for you. Last week, we went through a whole overview of the entire book of Ruth. And if you weren't able to join with us either in person or live stream, I encourage you to go back and do that. And, and the whole big idea of the book of Ruth that we saw from last week was that despite darkness, God redeems all those who seek refuge in him. Despite the darkness, God redeems all who seek refuge in him. And that's good news for us. But you know, sometimes realistically... Sometimes, realistically, all we can see is the darkness. Sometimes all we can see is, is what is around us. All we can see are the problems. Sometimes all we can see are the reasons for concern. Sometimes all that we can see are the loss, the difficulties. All that we can see is, is the famine. That's the experience that, that Elimelech, Naomi, and their sons were in. All they could see was the famine. And things seem bitter. Maybe things seem bitter to you. You know, might, you might know better theologically. You might know what the truth is and what you're supposed to believe about God, but sometimes we just can't see it. And when that's the case, we can fail to see God. We can run to places where we shouldn't go, just like we see in the book of Ruth. And they are running to places they shouldn't go. They're failing to see God. All they can see is the darkness, and they're failing to see God in the midst of that. And, and the first truth that we need to get, that we need to have go deep down into our souls, is that turning away from God, it leads to death. Sometimes we're tempted to think that if we can't figure things out, if we don't understand things, if we don't see things clearly, if we see darkness, then what we really need is to, is to go and find our own solutions instead of trusting and resting in God. And that's what they were tempted to do in the beginning of Ruth. Ruth was set in a time where the judges, when everything was evil, everything was negative, everything was bad in the time of the judges, people were turning aside to their own gods. Everybody acted like God wasn't king. They turned aside to their own ways. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. It was like they said, what's good for me is good for me, and what's good for you is fine. Just don't shove it down my throat. I don't need to hear from you. People turned away from God to their own solutions, whatever seemed best, and sometimes... We're tempted to do the same. Yes, they were hungry. Yes, there was a real famine. But that famine was meant to point them to their need for God and meant to encourage them to turn to God. But instead of turning to God, Elimelech and his sons, he led them away from God. It says he left. And then in verse 1, there's, there's a really important word that goes all throughout this chapter that, that you see in verse 1 and verse 6 and verse 7 and verse 8 and verse 11, and you see all throughout this chapter, there's a word that repeats. And in English, it doesn't look the same, but it's the same word, turning, going back, going. It all means the same thing. And it's this, it's this little, originally this Hebrew word that means to turn around. It was often used as well for turning to repent. In this case... Elimelech didn't turn to repent. He turned away from God. And so you see at the very beginning, Elimelech turning away from God. And we'll look and see the beginning, at the end of the chapter, they have turned back. Sometimes the problems we face seem too big. Sometimes we can give in to fear and temptation. 
a man named C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and it's a masterful work about how the devil tempts us and, and, and how he tries to get us to believe his lies. And so it's written in the perspective of Temperature Wormwood. I'm sorry, uh, sorry, written from the perspective of Uncle Screwtape to Temperature Wormwood. And he says, My dear Wormwood, I'm delighted to hear that your patient's age and profession make it possible, but by no means certain, that he'll be called up for military service. We want him to be in the maximum uncertainty so that his mind will be filled with contradictory pictures of the future, every one of which arouses hope or fear. There's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. I'm going to read that again. There's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. Now that enemy that this demon is talking about is God. At least God's the enemy of the demon. He says there's nothing like suspense and anxiety. Have, have you been experiencing that? I know at times I've given in to that temptation to, to overly dwell on the news. And, and when you're overly focused on what's out there, on the darkness, on things around you, on the famine, the the problems in the world, we can be tempted to anxiety, and there's nothing like that for barricading, for blocking a human's mind against the enemy. And it goes on talking about, it says, he wants men to be concerned with what they do. Talking about God. Our business, the business of demons, is to keep them from thinking about what will happen to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. And, and that is our temptation, not just in Elimelech's time, but today. To keep thinking about what might happen, what will happen even. C.S. Lewis was writing in the time of, of the Great War. And he was writing about the temptation that they faced, this temptation that we faced, that Elimelech and his family faced they kept thinking about what would happen to them, and instead of turning to God, they turned from God. It's like the image, I don't know if you've ever seen it or not before, there's, there's an image of a mouse, I think we have a picture for it, of it for you. Uh, there's, a, there's an image of a mouse, and he, he's holding up a flashlight uh, in front of these mice. And these collective, all these fears, all these mice, all these problems, all these issues, this mouse is holding up this flashlight, and it makes these mice look like they're way bigger than they really are. It makes those mouse, mice look bigger than we are. It makes, the devil tries to make our problems look bigger than God. Right now, you can get caught up in looking at the problems and it's like this image. All these problems, they are real problems. They are real issues. They're really there. And we really have constraints. We really have people panicking. We really have people in fear. There really is a virus. But here's the problem. It's nothing in comparison to God. Nothing in comparison to God. If you get caught up looking at the problems, caught up looking at the needs around you, if you get caught up wondering, will there be toilet paper next week on the shelves? If you get caught up wondering if they're going to have stock in the grocery store, you might get tempted to see 
all of those issues, all of the problems as bigger than God. That was what happened to Elimelech and his family. And when they saw those problems as bigger than God, they turned away from God. And turning away from God, it leads to the way of death. You know, they might not have intended it. They might have intended just to leave for a little while. Most people don't intend to turn away from God for long, but when you do that, you become accustomed to it. The longer you turn away from God, the longer you turn away from God's people, the longer you turn away from fellowshipping together, from being with God's people, from being in God's place, from following him, the easier it gets. And so we see it was 10 years in this account. 10 years. Maybe they told themselves, just a little while, just a little break. It became easier and easier to be away from God's people. The longer we're away, it's easier to grow to believe we don't need God and our problems can seem bigger. And so we see that Naomi, she is left widowless and then eventually her, her sons die and she finds herself alone and in a foreign land. And, and things were dark to begin with, but after 10 years, things got even darker. And the troubles were huge. But here's the thing that we see in this account. Naomi didn't stay there. Like her husband, like her sons, who, who stayed in the place of darkness, who, who stayed there because they were too afraid of turning back to God, we see that Naomi doesn't do that. We can learn from her. You know, don't, don't dwell. Don't be long in the land of fear. Don't be long, long in the land of the world. Don't, don't dwell on fear in the idolatry that is there. I, you know, I'm tempted. It draws you in. When, I'm, when I see that my newsfeed, it sucks you in, and it, it tempts you to be consumed by it, but don't give in to staring at the spotlight that highlights the problems because you'll begin to think that those problems are bigger than God. But here's the truth. It doesn't matter how big the problems are. God is greater. He is able He's the faithful, covenant-keeping God. He's the giver of life and health and breath. He's the one who will sustain us faithful to the end. He alone holds the keys of death and hell. Yes, be wise. Yes, yes don't do stupid things, but till the ground, work hard, plant grain, and trust in God. Don't run to Moab. Let's not be panicky. Let's not be fearful. Let's not try to live apart from God, live separate from God, turn to find our own solutions. God is greater than all of our problems. He's the God of creation. Let's not forget that. Let's, instead of seeing this spotlight on the issues, let's look up and see that God is actually far greater. He's the God of all creation. He is the God who is able. He is the God who is faithful. He is the God who made us. He is the God who made every cell in our bodies and is able to sustain us. He's the one who gives us life and breath, and he always has. He's not shaken by famine. That's what we see in the story of Ruth. He's not shaken by bad decisions, the bad decisions that Elimelech and his sons made. He was not shaken by that. God's plans are not thwarted by that. What we see in the book of Ruth is God's sovereign plan working despite famine, despite the bad decisions, despite bad leadership. He's not shaken by death. He's not shaken by loss. And certainly, he's not shaken by a virus. Turning away from God leads to the way of death, a life that bears the fruit of death, but turning to God brings hope. That's the second truth we need to see in this passage. Turning to God brings hope. 
Unlike her husbands and sons, Naomi, she, she turns back. The painful circumstances that she experienced were they cut like a knife for Naomi. And yet God used them to surgically remove any desire to stay in the land of Moab. The pain God used like a skillful surgeon's knife to, to cut away the desires to find your own way, to find her own way in the land of Moab. And she turns back to God. And in her pain, she remembers God. In verse 6, it tells us, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she'd heard, here's what she heard in the fields of Moab, that the Lord... Now, by the way, whenever you see the Lord like this, we're going to keep reminding us, whenever we see the Lord in all capitals in, in our English Bible, that is the name for the covenant-keeping, always faithful God, the, the faithfully loyal God. And so she heard in the fields that the faithfully loyal, covenant-keeping God had visited his people, and he'd given them food. And, and here's what she does. She turns. She turns. And any self-respecting Hebrew, they would have picked up on that language and picked up on this repetition of words where Elimelech turned away from God, she turns to God. She set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah, to to go back. Where Elimelech turned away, she and her daughters-in-law turned to God. How about you? Where are you turning right now? What are you more aware of right now? Look up and see that the Lord is a covenant-keeping God. He is the God who is at work all throughout Scripture, all throughout redemptive history. God is the one who is faithful, a covenant-keeping God. And we see that in every passage of the Bible, in every chapter, in every book of the Bible, we see that God is the covenant-keeping, faithful God. The question is, will you turn to him in your darkness? Will you turn to him in the famine? Look in verse 8. Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, she's on the way there, and then she realizes, hey, there's no way I'm going to be able to provide for them. And so she turns to them and she says, go return, each of you, to your, her mother's house. And here's something interesting. She keeps appealing to this God, this covenant-keeping, faithful God. She says, may the Lord... Even in the midst of her darkness, even in the midst when she is still bitter, she is still having struggles, she says, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and with me. And then she says, the Lord again grants you that you might find rest, each of you in a house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will turn with you to your people. She knows she can't provide, so she's like, oh, this is too hard for me. It's too hard for you. This isn't fair. I'm going to send you back. She's discouraged, but in the middle of her discouragement, she knows the truth. This is why she's returning, but she knows there's a covenant-keeping faithful God. Even though things are bitter to her, she knows where she needs to go. The daughters argue, but Naomi explains the logic. You know, she's still tempted to live by what she sees, and so she explains the logic. Hey, you know what? There's no way I can provide for you. And by the way, I can't provide children for you who would go and provide for you again. So go and take care of yourselves. And it didn't seem like there was any way that God could take care of what remained for her family. But, but God was at work. 
What she didn't know is that God was already at work redeeming her husband's bad decision, her son's bad decision, and God was sovereignly planning all of this, sovereignly at work to bring Ruth so that God might redeem his people. But she told him to go back in verse 11. She says, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I, did you catch that? If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? She wasn't dumb. She knew the only way she could provide for her daughters-in-law was if she had somebody take her under her wing, if she was married, if, if they had husbands. And so she saw there's no hope in her mind, so let's try to create a way still. She was tempted. She turned back to God, but she wasn't perfect. But at the end of verse 13, we see another hint about God again. Again, she refers to the hand of the Lord, the covenant-keeping faithful God. Look at verse 13. She says, No, my daughters, for it's exceedingly bitter. She says, No, my daughters, exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Even though she sees that it's God's hand, she's not perceiving things accurately. She thinks God's against her when God actually is working all things for her good. Sometimes we can't see that God is actively at work and we're just aware, Lord, why are you against me? And yet God was raising up Ruth to bring redemption. She's pessimistic, but the author gives us this clue all throughout. The author's saying, look, look, look at God. Look at the Lord. Look at the covenant-keeping God. Naomi doesn't see perfectly, but what she does see is that God is a faithful covenant-keeping God. And then the story, we know the story, Orpah, she turns her back on God. It's kind of like the story that Jesus told, the account that Jesus told of the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be born again? And Jesus said, well, do this. Now, that was not for everybody, but Jesus saw into his heart, saw what his idols were, saw what he wanted, and he said, do this. Take all that you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And it says that the man turned away because the cost was too great. That's what Orpah does. The cost is too high. Maybe Naomi was wanting to test their resolve. We don't know the motives behind that. It appears that way, perhaps, that Naomi was really wanting to see if they just wanted to follow her, if they're wanting to follow God. And Ruth, she hears this, and she counts the cost of following God. Look in verse 14. Look in verse 14. It says, then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah, she leaves. She kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. The cost was too great. Orpah turns away, but Ruth refuses and she clung to her mother-in-law. Then we have one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture See, see, Ruth is desperate. She knows that God is the only solution. She's grown up in the land of Moab. She's seen all that Moab has to offer. She's seen all the temptations of Moab. She's lived it. And she's seen that despite what it seems, this covenant-keeping faithful God that Naomi has told her about, he is far greater than anything the land of Moab has to offer. 
He's far greater than going after her own solutions. He's far greater than her turning away and trying to find a husband on her own. And instead, she says, you know what? I'm willing to sacrifice, to give up everything, to give up my land, to give up my family, to, to leave the home that I knew. I'm, I'm willing to give up everything. I, I'm willing to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect with you even though I know it will cost me everything. No matter the cost, she knew that God was the one who had true bread for her. Look in verse 16. Look, look at what she says. And by the way, kids, you probably have this verse, verses 16 and 17, on a coloring sheet, I hope. Hopefully your parents printed it out. If not, don't give them any grief. They could print it out for you after our service or print it out for you later. Look in verse 16. It says, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people talking about God's covenant people. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. If you are a Jew listening to this speech of of Ruth, she would have gotten that this is a conversion account. She says, I don't, I don't want to return. Same word for turning. I don't want to turn back. Instead, I'm turning to, to God. I'm, I'm going to embrace God and I'm going to take his people as my people. I'm going to become one with you and one with God. And then she invokes, personally invokes the covenant keeping. This Moabite woman personally invokes the covenant keeping name of God. She says, may the Lord do so to me and more also if anything parts me from you. Ruth's committed to making God her God. She's committed to turning to God even though it would cost her everything. And she's so committed that she says, you know, no matter what happens, even if I die, even if I die doing it, I'm staying there. Even if you die, I'm still staying there. It's not dependent on Naomi. Her faith is dependent on God. When Naomi's satisfied that Ruth's serious, she, she doesn't say anything else. She keeps her mouth closed. Verse 18, it says, Naomi saw she was determined to go with her. She said no more. The two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. Both of them set out to go to Bethlehem. Both of them now had turned away from Moab and turned back to God, the place of bread. You know, trusting in God, it doesn't mean we won't suffer pain. It doesn't mean we won't suffer loss. But it does mean that we see that God is greater than the problems, greater than the famine, and that even if we don't see clearly how or why, God is bigger, he's greater, he is faithful, and he is worth the cost. That's what Naomi does. She, she woke up and she realized the land of Moab held nothing. Ruth realized all of her childhood land, they held nothing for her, no promise. The true promise is the covenant-keeping God. She knew that what she needed was not just physical food, but spiritual food. And it took the pain of, of loss and suffering and death for Naomi and Ruth to turn to God. But they did. 
That is where her hope was, was in the Lord God Almighty, the one who works despite our failures, one who works despite our weaknesses, the one who works despite weaknesses. And they turned away from Moab, turned back to God. And then the third thing that we see, the third truth that we see is that those who turn back to God can expect a harvest. Those who turn back to God can expect a harvest. It says, when they came to Bethlehem, look in verse 19. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. They hadn't seen Ruth and, I mean, hadn't seen Naomi in 10 years. And she's coming back now and they're like, what in the world's going on? She's coming back. She's coming back by herself and she has a Moabite woman with her. It says, and the women said, is this Naomi? And so in verse 20, she says to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. You can picture the scene. The whole town is stirred up. There's something scandalous going on. Naomi's come back, but she's come back, and she doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have sons, and she's come back with this foreign woman. What in the world's going on? And so they kind of ask rhetorically, it's almost condescendingly, you get this hint that they weren't really being kind. He says, is this Naomi? It's not that they didn't recognize her. You know, most of us would recognize people after seeing them 10 years later. We would still recognize them generally as adults. This summer, we got to go back to Vancouver. We've been gone for about 12 years. Our friends still recognize me. I'm sure um, they were kind and didn't make any comments about how much older I look. They still recognized me. They knew my name. Naomi's family, her, her city, her friends, they, they still recognized her, but they said, is this Naomi? Because it didn't seem pleasant. And she didn't seem pleasant. And she says, I'm not pleasant anymore. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara or bitter. And even in her bitterness, though, she's aware that God is the almighty God. He's the sovereign. Look at verse 21. Now, put yourself in Ruth's sandals in verse 21. It's, it would be funny if, if, if you didn't get the effect this must have had on Ruth. See, this is Naomi talking. She says, I went away full. And the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, the covenant-keeping God, here's the, the theme throughout. God's at work. He's faithful, even though she doesn't get it. He's brought me back empty isn't she just standing there with Ruth? That's not the kindest. The Lord brought me back empty? Hang on, hang on, Naomi. You just had Ruth make this profession to you that no matter what happens, even if you die, she dies, you know, she's going to follow you and follow God. There couldn't be a more beautiful commitment. And Ruth, she just says, the Lord brought me back empty. She didn't see the kindness of God. She didn't see the blessings of God. And so too for us, we often cannot see the kindness and blessings of God in the midst of our problems. And scriptures like this should jar us and say, wait a minute, we, what are we missing? What are we missing here? What are we missing here that's, that God has provided already, that he's already making a way? What goodness of God are we missing? How are we failing to see our loyal, covenant-keeping, faithful God He's visited his people. He is the God who's provided his food. He's the Almighty. He's able. He already has begun to provide for Naomi through Ruth. 
And we're meant to see, wait a minute, no, Naomi, you're not alone. And we're meant to see personally, no, wait a minute, we're, we're not alone. The chapter ends with them returning from the land of disobedience. They've returned from the land where her husband had gone to seek his own solution to the famine, and, and they return to God's place and they return to God's people. Look in, look in verse 22. It says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter in law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now look at those words again returned, Naomi returned. Still that same turning back turning to the Lord. It's the word that continues to repeat throughout the chapter. This whole chapter is about turning away from our own solutions, turning away from the land of Moab, turning away from trying to fix things on our own, from our idolatry, from us having to have things figured out and, okay, trusting in what we can see, turning away from that and turning to God's place of provision, turning to God's place of of bread where ultimately he would provide his king ultimately he'd provide the bread of life she returned and Ruth she returned from the country of Moab to Bethlehem and I love it at the beginning of barley harvest the, the, the harvest had not yet been brought in but it was beginning when we turn away from trusting in ourselves we turn away from trusting in our own solutions, turning away from idolatry, turn away from trying to have things figured out and turn back to God. God lovingly and kindly provides and those who turn back to God can expect a harvest. They come to the place of bread as the beginning of the barley harvest. And, and I love the, the imagery there. It's God has, has plowed deep furrows in Naomi and Ruth's lives. And now, through the difficulty, through the suffering, through the death, now it's time for God's harvest. It's the beginning of the season of fruitfulness for them. And her decision to return to God and, and Ruth's faithful commitment to Naomi and her God and, and, and her loyalty, it is the beginning of hope. Maybe you're lacking hope right now. Turn back to God and see that God is the place of our provision. He is the one who provides for us. The chapter ends with this foreshadowing of what's to come. It, it ends with him returning back to God. It marks a new beginning, a new season. Maybe you've been stuck in a place of fear, stuck trusting in yourselves. Maybe you don't yet know God. You've not trusted in him, but you've heard me talking about this covenant-keeping faithful God, this one who, who works in and through all the circumstances and situations of life. This is the God who is almighty, who is the creator from the very beginning of the time to the end of time. He is the one who sovereignly is at work through all our circumstances and pain and difficulty. Maybe you don't yet know him. Turn to him like Ruth did. No matter what your background is, Maybe you're a believer and you have gotten caught up in fear and anxiety. Maybe you've gotten caught up in self-sufficiency. Maybe all this virus stuff isn't bothering you, but maybe you have other ways you're tempted to go to the land of Moab, be self-sufficient, trust in your own solutions, trust in your own way. Maybe you become too attached to the things of the world. And God says, no, turn, turn back to me. And when you do, 
It's the beginning of the harvest. It's the beginning of the spiritual harvest. When we can trust, when we return to him, he has a great harvest in mind for us. We can trust he has our best, even, even if we experience difficulty. We can, we can see that on the horizon, God intends good for us still. He works through pain and suffering, and he will work. And central to all of chapter one is this, this imagery of turning and turning back to God. The first scene told us of our need and suffering. It told us of bad decisions, of a departure from God and his people, but through it all, we see that God is working God's working through famine. He's working through Elimelech's bad decision. He's working through his boys' bad decisions, their bad marriage choices. He's redeeming even the ones that they chose. God had prepared that in advance, this covenant-keeping, faithful God. It wasn't Ruth's plan, but it was God's plan. Maybe what you're in right now is not your plan. It's not what you want, not the way you think things should happen. In a sense, this, right now, none of this is the way things should happen. Right now, I'm preaching to a largely empty room. Except for my family and a couple of others in the worship team. It's not the way we would have expected. But it is the way that God planned. And God is faithful. And as we turn back to him, he is the one who will bring a harvest. We don't know what this time will bring. We don't know how God will be at work, but turn in faith back to him. Don't get distracted. Turn away from all the distractions. God desires for his people to come back to experience his provision. He takes delight in prospering his people. That's what we see. As they turned him with all their heart, as they turned him with all their soul, Naomi took that first necessary step. She returns to God. And in all of the people, Ruth, the Moabite, she's the one who does what's most impressive. She turns and puts her faith in God who she had never known before. And what we see is God's mercy and grace begin to shine. Naomi needed God's mercy. He gave it. We need God's mercy. He gives it. As we turn back to him, he'll provide for us. He is desiring to open up his harvest for us. Now, we might not see a harvest come to fruition in this life fully, but whoever turns away from our homes and our family and all that we trust, he tells us in John, and turns to him, he'll, he'll give us abundantly more in this life and in the life to come. Ruth is an invitation. It's an invitation for all of us to turn to God, to, to turn to experience the beginning of his harvest. You might need to put down your phones more often. I want to speak to you just really practically for a moment. Right now, um, the, the news is not your place of encouragement. TV is not your place of encouragement your phone, your Facebook feed, well, it could be, but it is often not our place of encouragement. Looking at the news, looking at all that's happening, constantly checking for updates. If you find yourself doing that, you might have given in to that picture of, of the mouse that's got really big. And it looks like it's bigger than God to you. And it's subtle. And God says, turn away from looking at those things. And turn to me. And practically, that might mean 
that we need to say, okay, great, I'm going to set some time limits on my phone so I don't, I don't spend too much time on there. I'm going to set some time limits. I'm not going to look at the news, or if I do, I'm going, to, I'm going to spend five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever is a reasonable maximum. If you want to stay updated, sure. But the only thing that right now is changing is updates on the spread. What you need to do is to turn your eyes back and see God. The Lord has visited his people, and he's provided food. Ultimately, he's provided the food of his son. They deserved a curse. Ruth deserved a curse. Naomi deserved a curse for, for forsaking God, for following after false gods, for being in the land of Moab, for not following him to begin with. Ruth, Naomi, Naomi who, who knew better, she turned away, she turned to false gods. She deserved to be cursed. But you know what? God was merciful. He was gracious. He wanted to bring them back to his people, back to his place, if they just turn. God's full of mercy for any who turn. And he, he doesn't curse us with famine any longer because Jesus took our curse. You see, Jesus took the punishment that Elimelech and his sons, that Naomi deserved. Jesus bore the penalty for turning away after our own gods. He took that curse on himself. And, and the curses for not following after the Lord, for leaving God, for following after false gods, for trying to find solutions on our own, Jesus took each and every one of those curses. He took the punishment for all of our failings and weaknesses. He took our, our loss. He was forsaken. He emptied himself for us. He took the curse of famine on himself. He was hungry for our sake. He was deserted. He lost everything. He lost everyone. He took the death that we deserved for leaving God. And instead, all who returned to him, who turned to him in faith, Jesus gives him himself the bread of life. And here's the good news. Here's God's promise to all of us. In Jeremiah 29, 13, we'll close with this. God promises, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's what Ruth was doing. She was seeking God with all her heart. And here's the really amazing promise. You will seek me and find me. We will find God. We will find the covenant-keeping, faithful God over all creation. When we seek him with all our heart, we will seek him and we will find him. What more could we want than to find the God of all creation shining brightly through all the shadows? William Cooper, he, he once wrote a poem. He struggled with depression most of his life because he struggled seeing God, and he wrote a poem about his experience. He said, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Yea, ye fearful saints... Fresh courage, take the clouds you so much dread, are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sins, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast. 
unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Let's pray and then we'll close in a song. Father, thank you that although we are weak, although we are tempted to turn to our own solutions, we're tempted to turn to figure things out on our own when we see problems. Lord, we're, we're tempted to see our problems as bigger than you and to try to fix them on our own. But Lord, thank you that you don't leave us in our mess. You don't leave us in our problems. Lord, when we turn back to you, when we seek you, Lord, we find you. And Lord, what wonderful provision we find. You are the God who is the creator of all, who's able to provide for us in every way. And thank you that when we seek you, we find you, the loving and gracious, faithful God who is able to provide for us in every way, who brings a harvest. God, would you bring your harvest? Would you turn these terrible circumstances and situation to good for those who turn to you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please join in worship with us.